Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of May 20th, 2019. On today's show, all kinds of news and some really interesting surveys being sent out by both Disney and Universal. Plus, Jim finally concludes our chronological Disneyland series. But first, let's bring in the man who says that when he was a kid, he could go to the store with a dollar and come back home with a sandwich, a bag of chips, a candy bar, and a soda. But these days, they've got cameras everywhere. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Oh, that was back when I had my lucky trench coat. <laughs> I thought you were just a fan of Columbo. Oh, well, th th that too. But incredibly deep pockets. You, you could liberate an entire hoagie if, if the cashier were distracted. But speaking of, of walking out without actually paying for things, Lynn, the Amazon physical retail stores. I went to one. Did you? I went to one in New York. Okay. It is the creepiest thing ever, Jim. It's so strange. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Tell, tell listeners about it. I don't know how we got on this topic, but go ahead. Give, give them a brief on it. What is the deal? They don't have cashiers? and you're, It's you're... a store without employees. So you, um, so you download the Amazon Go app mm -hmm. on your phone, and it gives you a barcode. And when you get to the store... There are a series of like like turnstiles, electronic turnstiles, okay. with barriers on them, and you put your phone down on a scanner. It reads the barcode that associates the barcode with you and your phone, and the door opens and it lets you in. Mm -hmm. And you're in the store, and it looks like I mean, it looks like a Seven mm Eleven. -hmm. But the interesting thing is there are cameras and sensors everywhere mm -hmm. that monitor everything you pick up and put in your bag. So if you make a if you make a gesture like you're picking something up, or if you actually pick it up, you'll get billed for it. And if you put it back, you obviously you don't get billed for it. Mm -hmm. But that's the technology. It's basically trying to figure out from your movement mm -hmm. and where you're at in the store what it is that you're buying. Wow. So Laurel and I went in. The interesting thing is if you have multiple people, all you have to do is like you scan that first person in, then you scan yourself in last. Mm -hmm. And then you can walk independently throughout the store and put things in your bags. Mm -hmm. And Amazon knows what you bought. And I so I was I was skeptical of this. So Laurel and I split up. Mm -hmm. We bought things on opposite ends of the store. And, and Jim, it, it tracked everything. It got everything exactly right that we bought. Now, was this the store on 34th Street or the one at Columbus Circle? Uh, 34th. Uh, the one in Columbus is just a regular Amazon store, I believe. Okay. It's, it was even farther south than that. This was in, it was down by One World Trade. Ah. It's down by the, by the World Financial Center. So it's the one on VC Street. Yeah, but really, really interesting. Okay. Uh, so all the prices are clearly marked. Mm -hmm. They've got a, a lot of variety of things. I think the average bill that Amazon is saying is around twelve or thirteen, thirteen fifty. Mm -hmm. So you, you basically you walk in, and you grab some stuff for lunch or dinner, and then you leave. Yeah, but it was just weird. Like I've got this stuff in my bag. First of all, putting stuff in, in a bag instead of in a grocery cart or in a basket is strange, mm -hmm. right? Because like you're hiding it, and then you just walk out, and an Amazon employee greets you at the exit and says, "Take care." <laughs> And you're like, you don't want, you don't want to see what's in my bag. You know, you're good with this. Uh, and very they cool. Okay, well, they flawless. It was great. Our future arrives in very strange ways, Len. By the way, did you see that after Amazon submitted patents for this, Disney Disney did the same thing? I but for merchandise, I of am course. shocked. Shocked, Len. I know, right? <laughs> Who knew? <Yeah>. Who knew? <laughs> That's what, all right. All right. Enough for our retail safari mm -hmm. uh, today. Jim, let's do a, a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Brian G, Sarah N, and our good friend, Billy H, and longtime subscribers, Matt R, Ben R, and Ken K. You know, Jim, during Dapper Days, these folks dress up as Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they walk around Epcot's World Showcase asking people if they've seen any moose on the loose because everyone celebrates holidays differently. 
and we should embrace that. You know, my daughter Alice just came out from LA this past week, and every time she's come out to New Hampshire, she's looked for moose. And the closest we've actually come this trip is just up the street, the farm that has Clydesdales. Had, uh, they've, they've had a foal, which is the size really? of a full-size horse. But Yeah, actually, a, Clydesdale, a baby Clydesdale is the size of a regular horse. There you right? go. Exactly. But no moose. You know, but we remain ever hopeful. So, uh, Good luck. Yeah. Well, I think uh, maybe in the fall. Okay. All right, Jim, speaking of your, uh, your family, let's do the news, and I'll, I'll do the tie-in here. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, mm. got a note from your uh, your ex-wife, I believe. <laughs> about about Len, an article. the check's about... in the mail. I, I swear <laughs> to God. Okay, okay. Right? No, no. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, you and I reported on a Disney a cruise line survey mm-hmm. uh, that DCL was sending out, asking people about their net worth. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the one where there was a survey response that said, yeah, I'm worth $10 million or more. Mm-hmm. And you had said that there was a – it was – uh, Disney possibly looking at the very high end cruise market for like smaller specialty ships, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't say it at the time, but I was kind of I was kind of suspicious, mm-hmm. like what the market was for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, is it are there really enough people worth that amount of money that a major cruise line would make it? It would make sense for them to launch a small ship just for those people, right? Does it is there a big enough market for that sort of thing? Well, it turns out thanks to the help from your ex-wife mm-hmm. and alert listener Christine M. Mm-hmm. Both sent in news that Celebrity Cruises just launched a ship called the Celebrity Fauna. It's a 100-passenger ultra-luxury mega yacht. That's how they describe it. Every stateroom is a suite. There's butler service. The chocolate on your bedtime pillow is, of course, sustainably sourced from Ecuador because, <laughs> God forbid, it's not. <laughs> But Jim, the big thing here is that the ship can, because it's so small, 100 passengers, mm-hmm. it can get into smaller islands and beach coves that bigger ships just can't. So all kinds of exploration on small, uh, using like dinghies and and seeing the kinds of things that most cruise line passengers can't even imagine. So it's true. So we a couple of weeks ago, I was like, why would Disney Cruise Line launch a small cruise ship just for ultra VIPs? Mm-hmm. And then Celebrity Cruises puts out its press release. And now I totally understand, Jim. I totally understand. In much the same way as what we were just talking about with the the Amazon store and Disney patenting its own stuff. I mean, Disney doesn't work in a vacuum. So if Celebrity Cruise is getting into the ultra-luxury mega yacht business, it's not really surprised that Cruise Line's at least kicking the tires of this concept. But given the 100-passenger capacity and every room a suite thing, if this is going forward, and given Adventures by Disney has a 14-year history of doing special excursions with small groups and that sort of thing. Yeah. And those are pricey. I mean, yeah. th- those are in line with, with basically what, these, what the starting prices are for this uh, celebrity fauna uh, cruise ship. Yeah. But I got to wonder, given that uh, Disney Cruise Line and Adventures by Disney are both divisions of parks and resorts, that maybe this is a collaboration or some sort of a hybrid offer, but... Oh yeah, you've you've been to Peru with us to to to, to look at Machu Picchu. Let, come back to Ecuador, yeah, on our on our small cruise ship. I would honestly be surprised if again that fourteen years of people who did, did Adventures by Disney, if these aren't the very first people that Disney reaches out to once they launch this effort. That completely makes sense. Yes, yes. Plus all the people who are renting the suites at uh, you know Disney cruise ships. I mean a suite. On something like the Nor- uh, Northern European cruisers, those, those suites got to run twenty, thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. 
So if, if people are already paying that for a large cruise ship, they'd be happy to pay something similar for a smaller experience where you can get into all kinds of different smaller fjords and ports and stuff like that mm-hmm. and have vastly different high-end experiences. I, I totally no. totally understand the market now. Thank you, Celebrity Cruises. Thank you for the folks who sent that in. I completely understand that. And thanks to Christine M. and thanks to Shelley. All right, Jim, uh, other news. Uh, there's a new Disneyland annual pass out. It's called the Flex Pass mm-hmm. for $599. Let's call it 600 It's different from other APs in that it works on most Mondays through Thursdays. But on weekends, during summers and holidays, you have to log into a website or use an app to book a reservation to get into the resort. And you can make these reservations as late, late as the, the morning of your visit to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And also you can't, be, you can't use the pass at all during the two weeks around Christmas. The LA Times did some good reporting on this. They also mentioned that you can make up to two reservations at a time, up to 30 days in advance. Each reservation is good for up to eight people who have the flex passes. It doesn't include parking, but does offer a 10% discount on food and merchandise. And also, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. If you make a reservation and don't show up three times or more in a 90-day window, they could block you from making further reservations for a month. So this prompted uh, an email from listener Jeremy H., who said, judging by what Disneyland just announced, you guys totally nailed the fact that they're focusing on wanting to know when you're visiting the parks. Another round of self-congratulations are in order. Jim, what, what do you make of this, this make a reservation annual pass? Well, to me, the more interesting aspect is the whole works on most Mondays and Thursdays aspect of this fast pass. You know, the whole notion that Disney is now trying to influence holders of this type of pass to, to visit the park on less busy days, artificially yeah. spread out the crowds, take the heat off the weekends. The weekends have traditionally been when most annual pass holders make it out to Anaheim to visit right. Disneyland Park at DCA. And so it, given the way they've structured this pass, and more to the point, just mentioning the penalty, I mean, the, the equivalent of, you know, slapping the dog no, in the no nose. No soup the, for you. <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it exactly. You know, <laughs> with the idea of this specific goal in mind. Yeah. Modifying this traditional behavior of Disney Resort's annual pass holders. And the first annual passes were sold to the general public back in 1984. So this is 35 years of learned behavior and ingrained guest visiting patterns that they're trying to sort of modify. And yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. They're not going to, they're not going to get it. I wonder how much people are going to look at that and say, yeah, it's cheaper, you know, 600 bucks, Mm -hmm. but the reservations are just too much. Like I want to be more spontaneous than that. Given that, in just 10 days time when this thing gets loaded that we've got this whole group of people who aren't going to be able to get into galaxy's edge unless they have a reservation oh jim i can't wait i've got so much work to do between now and then mm-hmm. i haven't even started to think about it but i leave for disneyland on the 27th mm-hmm. i am super excited to get there and uh, i'm going to get my last view of disneyland before galaxy's edge for those first couple of days yeah. and then afterwards it's just gonna be utter chaos that's, that's a very yeah, smart move on your part because again that is literally <laughs> stepping through the looking glass and it's yeah. going to be interesting to one see. last one last look there we yeah. go so all right jim uh next uh up from a listener who we're going to keep anonymous hey lynn and jim just received a survey from universal it looked like a normal survey until i got to a screen that said in order to continue you must agree that you will not photograph record store discuss or distribute the content you're about to see it then asked me about my age and where i live and asked me to rank how much i enjoy the following television commercials shopping for car insurance taking surveys visiting theme parks after i answered those it said i didn't meet the qualifications and ended the survey i guess i shouldn't be talking about it but what the what (laughs) all right all right so first of all 
Let's welcome Universal Research to our group of listeners. Hi, guys. They're doing it. <laughs> yeah. You guys are doing fantastic work. There we go. But obviously, Jim, Universal can't prevent anyone from talking about their surveys. It's Islands of Adventure, not Fight Club. Jim, what's going on here? I'm wondering what I can say, because just, <laughs> oh, right. yeah. just recently I've been sort of updated on the fourth theme park, the Fantastic Worlds, and what I can say is it's not quite as far along in its overall development as people might think. I mean, the physical side is largely prepped, but as for the actual lands, they're going to be built for yeah. the fourth park. By the way, again, the Universal wants you to say fourth park because, again... Volcano Bay isn't a water park. It's a water theme park, but... It's a water park. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I, I like it. I like it. It's a water park. Okay. <laughs> but again, a number of the lands that are going into Fantastic World are still in blue sky phase. And I know we talked about how Universal was hoping to have Fantastic Worlds up and running in time for 2021 to take advantage of everybody who was in town for the Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. That's not happening, Len. Uh, right mm. now, given where Universal's Orlando's fourth theme park currently is in the development process, 2022, 2023 is far more likely. And they're doing this survey work because they're trying to settle on the mix of rides. I mean, we saw that earlier yeah. survey about overly themed rides or you know areas, lands, or standalone attractions, that sort of thing. They are still gathering info. So... I feel bad, you know, because, again, if he, he'd made it through the right hurdles and been the right demographic, the listener who chose to be anonymous could have seen some really cool stuff. <laughs> That's all right. If anybody else uh, gets the survey, send it, uh, send it on to us. Mm -hmm. By the way, the, um, when we talked about that, mm -hmm. you know, the survey that Universal sent out asking people to rank the kinds of things that they wanted to see in a theme park, mm -hmm. we got a number of emails from people who apparently have MBAs in decision science. Mm -hmm who explained exactly the theory behind what uh, Universal was trying to do there. And it was fascinating stuff. Wow. Like getting people to actually rank their choices in a way mm -hmm. that don't end up in paradoxes is really, really interesting stuff. So uh, Very cool. uh, some more people listen to our show. I don't know why, but apparently they do. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> All right, Jim, speaking of surveys, uh, Disney recently sent out a really interesting one that another one of our listeners sent in. It started off like this. First question, how much do you agree or disagree with the following statements about your group's visit to Walt Disney World. Congestion or crowding in certain areas made it difficult to get from one place to another in a timely manner. Strongly agree, somewhat agree, neither agree nor disagree, somewhat disagree or strongly disagree. That was one. The next question with the same answers was, the behavior of other guests had a negative impact on our visit to the parks. The next one is, our trip to the Walt Disney World Resort was a hassle-free or carefree experience. And then there was another one around lines, mm -hmm. like lines not lines having a negative experience. And then uh, same thing on weather. So, uh, so the lines question was, considering all possible locations, including but not limiting, limited to, rides, shows, character meet and greets, food and beverage locations, merchandise locations, kiosks, the ticket booth, solar rental and guest relations, how much did lines have a negative impact on our visit? They also had another one on weather. So let me just stop here, Jim. Mm. We've never seen those questions before on a Disney survey, right? No. <laughs> What's going on there? To circle back to the 50th anniversary, we are 19 months out at this point. Yeah, it's basically here. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, yep. it, if a construction project hasn't started, it's not going to be finished in time. And so realistically, you're the Walt Disney World Resort. You've got 19 months at this point, you, a lot of the money's already allocated to the redo of Epcot, to 
the new festival center profile and, and all that. And it's just sort of like, it's a triage situation. It's, it's one of these things where if you have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of money, you want to zero in on a guest complaint that you can solve. So what do you do? You throw out a net, you gather intelligence on what's the thing that is most bugging guests at oh, the resort yeah. most recently. It's like, all right, which one of these can we fix in 19 months? That totally makes sense. Yeah, because if it was a capital improvement project, if it's a building rides yeah. or widening pathways mm -hmm. or whatever, that money had to be allocated two years ago, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a multi-year project. Again, you're not going to, at this point, you're not going to start building stuff. There's nothing new that's going to end up in the budget, like, you know, build a new ride in the next 19 months. So they, all that all that stuff is done. All of those processes are in place, right? All those projects have started. But for something like this, it doesn't require capital expense that you don't need bulldozers to come in and, and start work on. Yeah, you could totally do this next year. But realistically, Len, if the response is that you are bothered by the other guest behavior, I mean, how do you fix that? Is that you know one of those things where somebody walks around with a you know, tranquilizer gun and you you, you <laughs> yeah, shoot like, them? Yeah, then what? You know, yeah. they take them down. You know, tag them and release them. So the there wasn't a follow up question on this. The behavior of other guests had a negative impact. I wonder if they're specifically talking about like drunk people at festivals or like line cutting because those are two different problems that would require two different solutions. I agree. I agree. I would love to see what the follow-up is on that. So if any of our, uh, if any of our listeners, listeners happen to work for Disney and want to give us some insight into what they're thinking there, that would be super fabulous. I agree. By the way, the uh, there's some follow-up questions here. Mm -hmm. If you indicated that you had a problem with lines, mm -hmm. the follow-up question was, where did you encounter the issues? So the options were um, registering or uh, uh, signing up for My Disney Experience with Magic Bands, with resort reservations, making or modifying a fast pass selection, making or, or showing up for a dining reservation, photo pass at the resort, mm -hmm. their room, and, and so on. And then around fast pass, there's a whole other set of questions like, was fast pass not available for your attraction? Was there a technology issue with the Wi-Fi or with the app? Did you have problems with your magic band getting in? Were cast members not as supportive as they could have been? Was the show closed because of weather? Just a lot of really interesting other uh, other questions on that. Yeah. Well, again, they, they, they're just trying to hone in as quickly as possible on that issue. But, you know, they, let's be honest here. You know, a lot of the things that you just discussed, Lynn, have been legacy problems for the whole Magic Band, My Disney Experience thing. Yeah. From day one, how many times have... Guests had issues with they can't open the door with their band, and it turns out, well, that's because you have to put it actually on the thing, sir. And, and some of these are just education issues. In fact, one of the terrors right now at the Walt Disney World Resort is you are going to have tens of millions of people making a return trip to Walt Disney World some who haven't been for decades. And it's it's all technology-driven right now. That's yeah. it, exactly. You know, from, from people... <laughs> that reminds who, me. You know, <laughs> okay. My paper ticket, what do you mean? What do you mean I have to what put you, it wait, this wait, on? Here's my coupon book. I, I kept it from the last yeah. visit. Here's a D ticket. Where, where's the monorail? Oh, I got an email from someone today who hadn't been to Disney World, in, apparently since the entire My Disney Experience thing. And it was a technical support question mm -hmm. and that went through the unofficial guide email chain and got to me. Mm -hmm. And the question was this. I'm trying to log into my Disney experience for the first time and it keeps telling me to come back later and it's been telling me to come back later for two weeks. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Honest to God. Honest to God, Jim, this is the exact email. What do I do? And I was like, okay, let me let me walk you through the technology that you've got to change here. So basically it's like open up an incognito window in your browser and see if the same thing happens. If it does, it's a Disney problem. Here's the number to call. If it doesn't, 
here's how to resolve it. But I was like, this is the first experience that this person's had with my Disney experience. It's the first time visiting the parks in, in decades. This is the first of many technological hurdles that will need to be overcome in order for you to actually show up in Walt Disney World and, and have a good time and get on popular rides. I was just wondering, like, what is this person going to think at the end of this process about all of this? I'd love to see those survey results. You look at kids who put in the magic band, and to them, it actually is intuitive. Yeah, it they is. They just hit the ground running, where morons like myself who can't operate a toaster. <laughs> I have this theory on, on technological proficiency, Jim, and here's my, here's my, my thing. Mm-hmm. If you can type a text message with two fingers, mm-hmm. you are technologically pro- proficient. Like, I can tell you your age. Mm-hmm. If you can type a, a text message with, with two fingers, you're, you're age 25 or under. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you're, using, you're holding your phone with one hand and hunting and pecking with your other hand, you're over age 25. I guarantee that's, that's, my, that's my new decision criteria right there. Okay, and how old are you if you're using whiteout to correct the text? <laughs> I still have a stylus. I'm still typing this there in. There you go. All right, Jim, one more survey question that caused great consternation online. You got involved in this too. Mm-hmm. It's this Disney survey. It's from Chris Glass on Twitter. The question is this. If you return to Disneyland Park, would you ride It's a Small World again? Jim, <laughs> it's, like, it's like basically saying, hey, Jim, that, that favorite horse of yours that we have in the farm now that you've gone off to college, should we shoot it or no? <sighs> like, what, 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 okay. what even prompts Disney to send out the question that says, will you ever ride It's a Small World again? Let's start with the obvious that we're talking about the Disneyland Park version. The Disneyland Park version of A Small World sits on an incredibly valuable piece of real estate. And on the heels of Galaxy's Edge, Disneyland has a capacity problem. I think on, on a previous show, you've talked about how what it's anywhere from five to 10,000 additional guests per day coming into the park. And not all of those people are going to be in Galaxy's Edge. They're going to be elsewhere in the park waiting to get into Galaxy's Edge. And there is a redo idea that has been bubbling up at Imagineering that involves taking all of the land, uh, the, the chunk of land now, that you old Disneyland smoking area, the, the motorboat ride that was at the edge of Fantasyland along Small World Plaza, and then sweeping all the way into Tomorrowland, all the way to the Carousel of Progress Circle Theater Go Round building. Just because Disney puts this question out there doesn't mean Small World is closing next week. Someone fairly high up in Disney parks and resorts wanted an answer to this question. Why do they want an answer to this question? Is it is because it's like, is this the best use of this real estate? Is that what it comes down to? It's a, it's a 1964 mm-hmm. World's Fair attraction. Yep. I can't begin to imagine the protests that would happen in Disneyland if they got rid of this attraction. We have seen supposedly beloved attractions. I mean, the Country Bear Playhouse at Disneyland Park went down in 2001 and came back as the Winnie the Pooh attraction, you know, based... You know, right, but there's a Country Bear Jamboree in Walt Disney World. Well, and there's also... Is, is, is that... Is, okay. You know, yeah. There's also a small world in Walt Disney World. You know, and Tokyo Disneyland is in the process of really redoing and rethinking its fantasy land. And among the ideas that they floated over there was actually shutting down their small world and moving it. The way it's located, the way they put it in the park in 83, it occupies this giant chunk of real estate that could be, you know, if they shift it to a better location, they'd open up this huge swath in the middle of the park that 
Beauty and the Beast, Deep Frozen. You know, lots of IPs could be dropped in there. Oh, so they would just they would just move it. They, yeah. Oh. Okay. Just because it's it's more to the effect of all right, would you you write it so it's just like hey, that looks like we could close it down for two or three years and then bring it back in a different location and then open up this giant chunk of real estate. So there's no imminent plan to close this thing and. These surveys aren't created by the guy who's working the churro cart. You know, this is, you know, somebody many, many, many pay grades up and they were looking for an answer to that question. And there's a reason they were looking for that answer. And that's what does Disneyland look like for its 70th birthday and beyond? Yeah, because there isn't a whole lot of real estate available in and around Anaheim these days, and especially inside the borders of Disneyland or or DCA for that matter. It makes sense. So uh, so Jim, we're going to take a quick commercial break here. Listeners, during the break, I want to ask you this question and I want you to think about it. Imagine Small World closed in Disneyland, but it moved to Tokyo Disneyland. So it still exists, just not in California. Would you be okay with that? I guess it's sort of like Jim, how uh, Carousel of Progress moved to Walt Disney World. There we go. As long as the 1964 attraction exists as it currently does, but just not in California, would that be okay with you? Think about that, and we'll be back in a minute. All right, Jim, we're back from our break, and you now are finally closing the book on our chronological Disneyland series. Where do you want to begin? We just pick up where we were the last time. We were... Bob Iger was the new chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company, and after his experiment with Jay Rizzullo and Tom Stagg swapping jobs, Iger finally decided Bob Chapek should be in charge of the new Parks Experiences and Products division because the two Bobs shared a vision of what the Disney Parks could be and should be going forward. Let me pause there here, Jim, by the way. Did you, did you see the comment from Bob Iger in the last week that says he doesn't really pay much attention to the parks? <laughs> yeah, somebody else do that. And that's Bob Jake. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, that's it's a wonderful tweet from the guy who also this past weekend tweeted out the picture of him, Kathleen Kennedy, Steven Spielberg, and J.J. Abrams inside of Star Wars Galaxy. He said, yeah, I pay no attention whatsoever to what's going on in the park. But here, my big celebrity friends, let's go in and show off the thing. I just spent, you know, $600 million on a piece. <laughs> it's like, okay, Mr. Iger. All right. I think you protest too much. Okay. All right. Anyway, getting back to the two Bob's visions for the company going forward. Len, this is all about the characters, Disney's movies, all the intellectual property that this multinational media giant has at its disposal. Now, Len, you previously joked about how somewhere in the bowels of the Walt Disney Company, there's that machine they use to name ride shows and attractions, which always uses some combination of magic, wishes, dreams, and wonder. Yes. Well, do you remember when the Walt Disney Company announced that $1.1 billion redo of California Adventure that was October of 2007? While they were doing that, they also decided to bring the Disneyland Hotel more in line with Bob Iger and Bob Chapek's vision of this division of the company. So the towers at the Disneyland Hotel, which you can remember, Jack Rather named one of the towers Bonita after he, his wife, Bonita. But there was the, the Marina Tower, the Sierra Tower. But under this redo, the towers got renamed Dreams, Magic, and Wonder. I was so confused, Jim. I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, 
<laughs> so they're they're nautical themed now. They're ships. What? <laughs> well, I guess, I was just thinking if they finally do build the fourth tower, it would have of course been called Wishes. Had to have been. They spend millions of dollars on this rebranding, redoing, but just two years later, Len, Disneyland Hotel is a multi-million dollar, multi-year redo. They put in new windows in all the hotel rooms so they can be more energy efficient, carpeting, wallpaper, refresh all of the soft goods and, you know, change out the decor. Neverland Pool gets transformed into, you know, has now very Disney-specific water slides uh, themed after the old Mark I monorails. They even get the uh, Trader Sam Tiki Bar. Super popular. Yeah. Super popular. But again, very specifically Disneyland. I mean, it's... The name's tied back to that headhunter you see at the end of the Jungle Cruise. And just two years earlier, you had the Bonita, Marina, and Sierra Towers rethemed as Dreams, Magic, and Wonder. But in Bob Chapek's eyes, it wasn't still tied in well enough to the Disneyland experience. They wanted this seamless experience. So that's why the Dream Tower, when it reopened in 2010 became adventure and in fact you know as you went into the lobby of the hotel they had maquettes that had been done originally for the jungle cruise and concept art yep. up for the ride and likewise the wonder tower when it finished its rehab in 2011 became the frontier tower by the way len next time you're at the Disneyland hotel have to go over there in the lobby they have the full-size model that was built model so i was just gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. of big thunder yep and again, the Magic Tower becomes the Fantasy Tower in 2012. But you see what's happening here, Len. You, you, Disney is taking things that were already tied to Disney and tightening the focus, making the connections that much tighter. They want you to think of when you visit a Disneyland park and then you go back to the Disneyland hotel, it's all one seamless experience. It's all the same level of quality because mm. a Universal can't do this. A Knott's Berry Farm can't do this. But Disney, we can do this. And you saw the same thing happening inside the parks over at Paradise Pier. I mean, when that opened in February 2001, they had this whole area that paid tribute to the seaside amusements, the pikes, the, the amusement piers that were popular in Southern California in the 20s and 30s. And so you had carny games there, but they were Disney-ified versions of things you would have found if you went to an amusement pier in the 20s and 30s. But they were all had California-tied names that were dad jokes. So you had, like, the San Joaquin Volley Mm. or the Kawanga Pass. All right, jump ahead. October 2007, got that 1.1 billion redo, and the belief was that if we're going to make DCA on the level of Disneyland and get people to go over to this park, we need more Disney in it. So those seven Carney games that were based on California go away. And in April yeah. 2009, they reopened, but they're all themed around Disney characters now. And, you know, we've got a Goofy Butt Fishing game and a Dumbo Bucket Brigade and a, a Bullseye Stan- Stallion Stampede. And I'm going to have to look these things up because I don't remember any of them. In 2017, Bob Chapek stood on stage at the D23 Expo and talked about how Paradise Pier was going to become Pixar Pier. And now again, Lent, you tighten the focus. It's not just, it's not enough that this area has games that are tied to Disney characters. Now this whole side of the park is celebrating Pixar. So, okay, let's put in games that are themed around Pixar. So we lose the goofy fishing and we get the Wally space race. We lose the Dumbo Bucket Brigade and that becomes the Luna Starcatcher. And 
you may remember when, when California Adventure opened up and they had the California Zephyr train and they had the quick service restaurants inside like the Burbank ice cream place right. and the Bakersfield yeah. Bakery. And how not anymore. No, now you've got when they redid the entrance to the park and they made it all, you know, supposedly to resemble Los Angeles in nineteen twenty three when Walt showed up and you have all of these attractions that take their names from classic Disney characters. I mean, for example, where Burbank uh, ice cream and, and Bakersfield were located. Now you've got the Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Cafe and Bakery, and of course that takes its name from Disney's 1933 Academy Award-winning short, The Little uh, Three Little Pigs. That area was part of the, the final phase of that, that $1.1 billion redo in June of 2012. I've been told by friends in Imagineering that if they did that today, they'd never have built around all of those old Disney characters. No, it would never have happened. And yeah. these days, it's all about the billion-dollar franchises, the billion-dollar IPs. And that's all Bob Chapek. And in fact, when we finish up, uh, we just had Jesse's Critter Carousel open up in February, and we'll have the emo- Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind open later this oh, summer. Yeah. Of the 24 ride shows and attractions that are in California Adventure, half of them are Pixar-themed. Okay. I get that. That kind of makes sense for uh, given the outsized influence that Pixar has on Disney earnings. Okay. Now, just in the past week or so, and we never talked about this when they celebrated the 30th anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios and debuted that new logo where, you know, in the O, the three O's you had. (laughs) Someone the night before realized they needed a logo. With BB-8 in one of the O's and Woody in another one. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's what are our most popular franchises. And that's what they want people to think of for that part. It's just so reductive, Jim. It's just so lowest common denominator all the time. We now live in a search engine world. I know. I get it. I know where you're going with it. Here's my my thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Thematically, and this, by the way, it's one of the questions that I've always wanted to ask Disney executives. Thematically, what's the difference between each of the Disney theme parks? Mm-hmm. How is anything in DCA now different from the studios? Give me a ride that's in DCA that you couldn't put in the studios with some sort of like argument like, oh, Star-Lord mm-hmm. was in the studios when he was a kid. Therefore, this ride fits now. Mm-hmm. What is the definitive theme for a particular theme park? And I don't think there is. I don't think anyone would answer that. No. And if- like, can you think of a theme park where Guardians of the Galaxy, other than Animal Kingdom maybe, mm-hmm. can you think of, a, of a, theme, a theme park where Disney couldn't shoehorn in a Guardians of the Galaxy ride? You're not wrong. But if you pivot now to what's going on in California, because, again, you've got this Galaxy's Edge thing opening up. They are making a concerted effort to give Disney's California Adventure as clear as possible a different identity than Disneyland Park. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Well, think about really? it. They are. You, you have 12 of the 24 attractions that are in that park right now are Pixar themed. Yeah. Starting in 2020, you will see the marvelization of the Hollywood backlot area begin. In fact, I don't know if you saw the the art that just came out for the Spider-Man attraction where you can see Guardians of the Galaxy looming in the background. I didn't see that. But that, but that means that that's, uh, that's still going to be there then. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and that's the way going forward it's going to be, Len. It, it's California Adventure will be the Marvel Pixar Park, whereas... Classic Disneyland will be the Star Wars Mickey Mouse and then Disney Princesses. When we talk Disney Princesses, that 
keys on a lot of that work that's being done in Tomorrowland. You know, we've talked about the simplifying of, of the layout there, pulling down the people mover track, simplifying the route mm-hmm. of the, the monorail and all that. But that is part of JPEG's vision for that park. You want to see Star Wars, you want to see Mickey, you want to see the princesses, you're in Disney Classic. You want to experience Marvel, you want to do Pixar, you got to go across the street to DCA. And with these billion dollar franchises, to JPEG's eyes, this is the smart play because he's like, look, we're in direct com- competition now with Universal. It's it's not a, oh, those those kids up the street who you know, never right. quite got it right. They've got serious competition now. And Universal, if you look in California, they're in a lot of ways, they're doing the exact same thing. They opened their Harry Potter area. They've just begun creating sort of a Illuminations-themed mini-land where you've got a a Secret Life of Pets attraction being built right across the street from their Despicable Me complex. They're getting increasingly sophisticated with their offerings as well. And so... That reminds me. I, don't, I want to pause you there. Universal just filed a patent for an underwater ride. We're going to have to talk about this on a new show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why I really wish our, our anonymous friend had answered those questions differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, there's a whole day. They, they filed a whole series of uh, interesting ride concepts. Mm-hmm. Pads. Well, we'll talk about it another show. Anyway, go okay. ahead. Well, anyway, with those extra five to 10,000 people a day who are expected to be coming into Disneyland with the opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the change of that new flex pass with trying to persuade people to go Mondays through Thursdays. And yep. while we're, we're going to stop talking about the chronology, the reality is the next five years we'll see colossal changes at the Disneyland Resort. And I'm sure that at some point in the future, we're going to have to open up this series again just to talk about, for example, what, what's changed, yeah. what's getting built on top of the old motorboats. And I, I want to close out with, with two quick quotes from Walt here, that, that there was a, a famous dinner that Walt held at the Disneyland <laughs> Hotel back in 1965. It was, actually, it was held for all of the folks who had worked at the park for the first 10 years. And he mm-hmm. talked about how grateful he was for their efforts and how they stuck by him during the tough times when he said, I, I want to leave you with this thought that this has all been sort of a dress rehearsal and that we're just getting started. And for any of you who, who start resting on your laurels, I mean, forget it, because we're, we're just getting started here. And then, of course, there's the the classic quote about Disneyland will never be completed. It will always continue to grow as long as there's imagination in the world. And I'm using those quotes quite deliberately as Len and I close out the chronological Disney series, because Disneyland's a very dynamic place. And I'm sure I love that you decided to go to Disneyland for those three days before Galaxy's Edge opens, Len, because seriously, I honestly believe the path of this park changes the day that Galaxy's Edge opens. And certainly, given the conversations that Bob Chapek and Bob Iger are having right now, we are going to see things get even more dynamic going forward, and people have to get ready for a new take on Tomorrowland and a a fantasy land that suddenly runs up the street past the Matterhorn. But we'll talk about those stories, say... In five years or so, Len, you know, that if you're going to do something like this, a chronological history, you got to have a little perspective. you got to have a, a little gap in time to figure out what you're looking at. Yeah, and a few years from now, we'll be able to see what the uh, start assessing the impact of what uh, what Galaxy's Edge and these other changes have done. But again, it's just across the one thing, though, that, that you had just mentioned, and, you know, and I hate to end, end this series on a down note, but with this new focus on these billion-dollar IPs, 
you look at things like the Zootopia project that's being built at Shanghai, which started out life for Disney's Animal Kingdom in Florida and, you know, and will undoubtedly travel because there's supposed, just like there's a Frozen 2 coming out in November, there's a Zootopia 2 that's in development that could be out in a year or two. And I know for those folks who love the original IPs, the Haunted mm -hmm. Mansions, the Pirates of the Caribbean, or Mystic Manic are all the way over in Hong Kong, they don't necessarily like these billion-dollar IPs, but this is where the Walt Disney Company is right now. But who knows, when we pick up the story again in five years, then maybe we'll have some other stories to tell about, you know, perhaps something that isn't based on a movie that made over a billion dollars. Here's hoping, we'll see. That's the end of the chronological Disneyland series for now, folks. And and I'm going to go lay down, take a nap, and then, you know what, in a week and a half, we'll pick up with the, the Walt Disney World version. <laughs> Walt, Walt Disney World chronological series. God, help us, <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the uh, chronological Disneyland series, and that's going to do it for our show today. For more of us, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Don't forget that were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's got the hot dog concessions for Bristol, Rhode Island's 234th annual 4th of July Festival, oldest in the country, coming up in a couple months. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.